Well, good evening, everybody. This is Jeff Mort, your host with uh, Doc, Dr. Dina Dye is going to be joining us here in a moment. Uh, welcome to Returning to <clears throat> Eden. Uh, we have a uh, we have an interesting show tonight. Uh, Dean, are you with me? I'm here, Jeff. Little under the weather, but I'm here. Yeah, you know, uh, Dean has got a little bit of a problem with her voice. So uh, uh, th- throughout the course of the show, just be mindful of that and maybe raise up a prayer or two for her that she get her voice back. And you know, this weather uh, we've gone through. We've all gone through some some changes with the weather. I've been sick. My wife's been sick. And I guess you didn't escape it either as well, Dina. <laughs> I, I thought I did, but apparently the whole country is sick. I don't know. <laughs> well, folks, I want to start out tonight by um, <clears throat> making a couple of announcements. Uh, the first being that we're going to have Professor John Walton joining us on February the 22nd. Now, if you're not familiar with John Walton, we're going to talk a lot about his material here during the course of this broadcast. This this entire uh program that we're doing relies quite a, quite a bit, but not, not exclusively on a lot of the work that John Walton does. Uh, I contacted him. I reached out to him and asked him if he would uh, consider being a guest on our program, uh, and he graciously accepted. Now, if you haven't read his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, I encourage you to do so. Um, it does come with a little bit of controversy. <laughs> However, uh, it also causes you to think. And what he has written about and what he espouses and all the various propositions propositions that he forwards in his book, both this one, and I'm currently reading The Lost World of Scripture, uh, it just, you know, it causes your mind to think. And uh, he is from Wheaton College. He's, uh, his accolades are too long to list here. I think the man is brilliant, and I think he's creating a paradigm shift in the way we think about things. And I'm eager to have him on the program. He'll be joining us again on February the 22nd. And uh, we won't have a call-in show. I want to make sure you, you understand that. We're not going to do call-ins, but we will uh, take questions. If you have a question, those of you who are familiar with his work, uh, you're welcome to go ahead and send us your questions. You can send it to, um, let's see, I've got Dina's email address here, and she'd prefer you do that. Uh, you can send it to uh D-R-D-I-N-A, or Dr. Dina, die, at gmail.com. Um, Jeff, one sec there. Uh, let me just, I have two emails. So the one that I need people to send to is actually D-R-D-I-A-N-A-D-Y-E at gmail.com. And if you please just send me your questions, it would be great. And, and uh, you know, if there are similar questions, I can kind of put them all together. We want to make our time with him be as efficient as possible. Right. And that's what you have written here. I probably said your email wrong. But anyway, you please, if we encourage you to send your questions, we, we really want to hear what John Walton has to offer. Uh, but we do want to ask him a few questions. And so uh, please go ahead and send us your questions. And we'll be talking about this in the weeks coming up until uh, February 22nd as well. I also want to mention to you that I'm heading to Peru on March the 22nd. And I actually am, uh, I have a, a very dear friend of mine who's just an amazing, incredible individual who rescues young girls. Uh, and he has now for 19 years in Peru. Uh, so he invited me to come down and on March the 22nd, I'm going to go down. You could go to my website, jeffsmorton.com. There's a tab there. You can click on it. 
<clears throat> I did set up a funding page because, you know, he's always looking for funds to help finance the home that he has down there. So uh, if you're so uh, so inclined to help us do that, what I'm going to do is whatever people donate to to this particular minister, I'm going to take it with me and hand it to him uh, and just let him know that the people that support what we do here, returning to Eden, as well as the various other things I do, came together and handed you a bunch of money, and we just want to bless you. So you can go to jeffsmorton.com. Uh, click on the tab. All the information is right there. And, uh, you know, there's several of you who have donated and contributed, and I am grateful for that. Thank you very much. Uh, and also, Dina's website, Foundations in Torah. If you haven't been in school for any period of time or you'd like to go to school, go to her website. It's like a four-year college course on a, 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 an amazing amount of topics. And so I spent a lot of time there. It is a pay site. She could tell you more about that. Dina, uh, let the folks know a little bit more about your site. Sure. And I did want to mention um, Rick, who uh, where Jeff is going down to Peru. Rick is really interested in what we've been talking about. And he's currently on my website picking up information. He's really excited about learning about the temple. He's deep into the Torah. And so this is the kind of material he's presenting to these young girls in Peru. So this right. message is truly going on. I, I want our listeners to understand that this, the whole context of this program, uh, Rick is imparting into those girls. Um, so, yeah, my website is a membership website, but you can join for free. And, uh, and then the highest membership level is the SOD membership, which is $25 a month. And that gets you absolutely everything I have, all my books, my workbooks, um, my recent book, The Temple Revealed in Creation, teachings on the radio, uh, written teachings, DVDs, everything is there. And if you choose to sign up uh, for the Peshat level, which is the free level, there's plenty of material there as well. So I'd encourage you to join if you're able. You know, Tina, speaking of your website, there's one particular teaching that you have on there, and I'm just going to take a moment to mention it. It has to do with the women of Proverbs, and I can't, I don't have the title of it. Uh, well, there's a couple that, um, one is a part of the Temple series, A Wise Woman Builds Her House. Uh, probably you're thinking of that one. And there's another one uh, talk that speaks about the wisdom in the world outside of time. Yes. And I, you know, I've tried to take this back to, you know, what was the function and purpose of, of women in the beginning? And we'll find as they co-serve with, you know, Adam, for example, that they were given a specific attribute. Women have the specific attribute of what we would call Bina, which means understanding. But actually what it really means is the ability to distinguish between good and evil. God has given that attribute specifically to women. And that's why women serve so well in the home, because they have that ability. We call it intuition, but they have that ability to distinguish between good and evil. And so they can bring counsel in that regard to the home. So it, that's a good one. Well, I, I the reason I bring it up uh, is because I, I recommend that particular one, the, the I'm sorry, I don't have it. The second one you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, a wise woman builds her house. No, not that one. The oh, other the one. Feminine, the feminine voice of the Holy Spirit? No, the last one you, you okay. mentioned it earlier. Wisdom and the world outside of time. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry, I, I don't have it written down in front of me, but I've said that to my sister and a few ladies, 
and I'm a champion for for women and, and re, with regard to how men see women uh, we part of this whole program is about returning to the way God set everything up put everything in place and I think um, for me one of the things that is critical in my life is that we we go back and see how God set up women and what their role is because it's absolutely breathtaking not that men are you know rubble or stubble but but the purposes of women are gigantic. And the more that I, I even talk about all this stuff, the more I understand this. And I think that through the centuries, women have been given a a raw deal, so to speak, based yeah. on theology and doctrine and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, their uh, role has been largely marginalized yes. and really especially in the last 300 years. So I, I went back in a lot of ancient uh, Jewish sources uh, Second Temple period sources, some of the the world of the gods and goddesses going back into ancient Mesopotamia, et cetera, to try to figure out, okay, what's the deal here? And in fact, my new book, I've been working hard on it this week, The Temple Revealed in the Garden, is going to bring to light all this information. In fact, everything we've kind of been talking about in the last few weeks, and I'm doing it in story format so that I'm able, you can engage in the story, but then you're going to learn about the backdrop, the ancient cultures, and how, of course, in the ancient world, the gods and of the gods and goddesses, humans in general, <laughs> were largely marginalized. But sort of the evolution of women, what what is their role uh, in the family, within the community, and in the greater community at large? So um, this is really important, and it, it really relates to a lot of the things we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And if you haven't joined us, folks, we this is, I think, program number four uh, on Messianic yeah. Ram Radio. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, well, Dean, if you want to recap the last few weeks. Uh, well, we, quick- we're tr- what we're trying to do here, uh, we haven't actually started Genesis yet, but we've been trying to lay some groundwork here so that when we get to Genesis, we don't have to explain everything. And so we've introduced the concept, two concepts in particular, order and chaos, and so the pattern of Genesis 1 is really establishing order. And what order has to do with is building a house, essentially. Chaos comes in to destroy the house. And we see this pattern repeated over and over again. And really the, the layout that we have from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation is the concept of order, building a house where the, uh, our God rules and reigns from that house and brings uh, order, maintains order in the universe. Then we see this destructive force of chaos, tear down the house, destroy it. And in that, we see the children of Israel often exiled out of their land and and moving into other realms, being oppressed by foreign entities, etc. And then everything comes back in a culmination to what we'll, we'll talk a little bit about today is the concept of rest. So everything is restored in the form of rest. And of course, when you complete the Genesis uh, Genesis chapter one, you move into the idea of the Shabbat rest. And typically, that that type of rest isn't you know God floating on a cloud. That type of rest speaks of a temple that is finished, constructed, ready to move in. And and our God moves in; He dwells in the midst, and He then He brings blessing and prosperity to the kingdom. So rest has to do with the operation, the orderly operation of the temple. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And we're going to talk about rest. Uh, you know, we've got a 30 minute show, but there's something that I, I just feel like I need to address. Uh, something that's been in my spirit for a couple of weeks now, 
So I'm going to take a moment here, Dean, if I can, to talk sure. about a uh, subject. Yeah. John Walton writes in his book, the English reader must face a difficult fact. One cannot comprehend the literal meaning of the word in the Old Testament without knowing Hebrew or having access to, anal to the analysis by someone who does. Now, folks, I've been a Christian since 1979, and when I, 77, actually, when I uh, started understanding what the Torah offered and what the Hebrew offered, I began to see a lot of concepts that I'd known for, for years as a Christian change, and words began to have different meanings. And what I've realized is that some of the words that are very common for us today uh, had quite a different meaning centuries ago. In fact, when we talk about ancient Near East covenant law or treaty law or legal system, the legal systems of the ancient world, a lot of the words that they use, like we use the word like prosecuting attorney and district attorney and lawyer and all these different things that we're familiar with. But for that culture and those generations, they use words like uh, father and son. These were titles they use words like adoption and brother and love. Love meant something completely different than the way we use it today. Today, we use the word love as like an emotional, feel-good, uh, paternal or conjugal type thing. In the ancient world, it meant loyalty. And are you loyal to the covenant? There's, there were other words. The word agape comes from, from a word hesed, which is a little bit above my pay grade to to try to analyze in a short period of time. But what I'm trying to get to is that when we hear passages in scriptures where it talks about, uh, Peter, do you love me? Three times uh, Yeshua or Jesus asked him. And the very next day he didn't love him. That really doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. But when you apply the word loyal, Peter, are you loyal to me? And then of course, Peter was disloyal the next day. Though that's that's from the king, so to speak, to a subject. So in that understanding or that framework, when we talk about lo I love you and, uh, you know, all these emotional things and Jesus loves you and all that's completely out of context and out of the arena that the ancient world would have understood. And so I wanted to address that because as we return to the Eden or to the ancient world, to try to see what they were conveying to us in their time, in their culture. These things matter, these words matter. The word brother, for example, you know, it, it meant something completely different than a family member. It meant that you were a brother in covenant. You were, in, you had a covenant relationship with us. The best example of that is David and uh, uh, what's- Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan. They, they had a covenant relationship. So when it talks about they loved one another, they're in covenant and they're honoring the agreement that both took. Completely different meaning than what we understand today. So as I look at the social media and I, I understand all of these things, uh, I, I sometimes get really frustrated because we're using the word as though it's a love thing. It, uh, I love you, baby, darling, honey, sweetie. And that's not the way most of the concepts in scripture were addressing that word. So I wanted to kind of say that, and of course I've studied from a variety of people. Uh, in fact, there's a lady named Jacqueline Lapsley, and I'm just gonna read this real quick, Princeton Theological Seminary. She writes, for about 40 years, a broadly shared consensus has prevailed regarding the meaning of language about love in Deuteronomy. 
In a classic article on this topic, there is still widely cited William Moran discussing those passages that deal with Israel's love for God, argued that love in Deuteronomy nowhere draws on the image of parental or conjugal love, and instead finds its prominence or provenance in the political language of ancient Near Eastern treaties between suzerain and vassals. Love in Deuteronomy, according to this line of thinking, means loyalty and obedience to God expressed through the adherence to the law. This is what the concept of the word love was addressing in many, many passages, both Old and New Testament. And I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as part of our discussion so that we can kind of understand the concept is quite different than the one we have today. Thank you, Dina. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and it actually goes along. It lays a good foundation for where we're headed because the main relationship that we're going to have in the Bible is going to be between king and servant. And so the king, when he was passing, he would pass on his inheritance to his servant. That inheritance, of course, is in the land and in the seed. The, the king establishes the order in the environment in which he's in. And when he passes it on down, it's to his servants. So now when you go back and read the Bible, you're going to see a lot of this pattern, king's servant, who was the servant, Israel. Now, um, several of the uh, Meredith Klein, for example, and a couple others uh, say when there's a, a familial relationship between king and servant, the relationship then becomes father and son. They're essentially the same. Now you're going to see that same pattern repeated all through the scripture and Yeshua even talking to his father. It's the king-servant-father-son relationship. And this is absolutely essential to understand. So, for instance, when we get to the end of Genesis chapter 1 and we see the, so the Sabbath, the rest, that is telling us that a king is sitting and ruling and reigning on his throne. The king, when he has defeated all his enemies, is the one who will maintain order, the order of the kingdom so that the people can live in peace. And so on the Sabbath or on the Shabbat or the seventh day, the king would be anointed and he would be enthroned and he would sit on his throne and he would rule and reign. So kingdom language in terms of the ancient Near East, the royal grant covenant, etc., is essential. And again, we'll be adding this in as we go. But the function of the kings of Israel was to maintain the created order, if you will. They could only do that when they were in the land, ruling and reigning from that place. Well, I, you mentioned uh, uh, Meredith Klein. Meredith Klein was a brilliant individual who, if you don't know who he is or haven't read any of his books, I would encourage you to look him up, Google him. I would also mention George Mendenhall. Uh, and there's a, there's a professor named Christine Hayes who I learned quite a bit about uh, ancient covenant treaty law and the language and the dialogues and all of these different things. So when you go back and you start seeing what these brilliant people were discovering, it starts putting into context a lot of what Deuteronomy is talking about. In fact, the first five books of the Bible are basically set up like a covenant treaty law. And so when it says all who enter my rest, it means that the covenant structure is in full swing the king is sitting on the throne and there's peace in the kingdom. This is when you understand these concepts, when we as a whole understand these concepts, everybody's looking for the king to be seated on a Davidic throne because Amen. then we know that there's order in the kingdom. 
Yeah. This is the whole concept of rest. Like you, you, you need to re-evaluate as you're reading what rest really means. So rest is really the stability and order in the kingdom. There's a Hebrew word. Well, the, the, the root is nach. Uh, I would spell it N-A-C-H. And from that, we get the noun uh, menucha. They're essentially the same thing. The verb is from nach. And so this idea, uh, and, and we will be talking about this in more detail, but, and, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit, but when it tells us that God placed Adam in the garden, that's how we read it. But the, the verb there is nach. So what it is essentially saying is that God rested, if you will, Adam in the garden. That is telling us that Adam is serving as king in the garden and that rest has come. And we know, of course, after the seven days, we have this rest scenario where the king, Adam, will rule and reign from that, uh, from the from the sacred space. And again, all through the Bible, um, there's so many examples. I, I just maybe was going to jump ahead. Uh, when the ark came to rest, it talks about that when they're traveling in the wilderness, that is kingdom language because the ark was seen as the footstool of God seated on his throne. Or how about when in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Yeshua says, come unto me, all you who are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What he's, he's not saying, okay, you're good. You don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> you know, just smoke a Cuban cigar. I don't know. He's saying, I am the king. And as king, I am bringing rest to the kingdom. I am, I have defeated your enemies, your oppressors. This is what he's telling Israel in the first century, because remember, what is their world? They're oppressed not only by Rome from the outside, but they're oppressed by their own leadership in terms of the priesthood in the temple from the inside. And so this guy comes along and he's blowing that whole thing apart. And he's saying, I will give you rest because I am the king and I will sit on the, the throne and I will maintain order and br bring blessing and prosperity to you. And uh, there's a critical component here, too, as I was listening to you talk, Dina, and for the benefit of our audience. In the ancient world, when, when Messiah Yeshua was doing all of the things he was doing, he was repairing or restoring a covenant. There couldn't be rest in the kingdom until the covenant had been restored, which was broken at Mount Sinai. Uh, you can read about that in Jeremiah 31, 31. So when he didn't do the things that they were expecting him to do, he had to restore the order of the kingdom first by restoring the covenant that was that was literally the part of this whole ancient Near East concepts of Amen. a king and servants. He had to restore what was broken, but well, they were expecting him to sit on the throne and bring right. rest. Right, exactly. Well, and really our in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is really God establishing that covenant between himself and his creation. And of course, Adam uh, violating the one commandment that he was given caused the creation and caused that covenant to collapse. The agreement was no longer in effect, if you will. Now, God can keep both sides of the agreement, but you know, man chooses whether to be in covenant or not. And at that moment, Adam chose not to be in covenant. So this is really key. And we, so we look at, you know, Yeshua, Jesus, and we say, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we stop there, you know, and he came to save me. But in, in actual fact, he came to restore the, the creation covenant. 
and he came to sit on the throne and rule and reign. And in, in that context, he would defeat all his enemies and judge those that would come against uh, the land and the people. And he's also following the statutes, the ordinances, and the commands of the kingdom. He has to. Amen. If, if you really think about it, if he... In their world, they didn't have a television, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have any of this stuff. All they had was the writings of the prophets, and they had uh, the history to go by and the words of Moses. So what they're all watching him do, our concept of that, we, we're thinking he's come to, to die and be resurrected. This is kind of the way we look at it. But in their eyes, and in their community, in their reality, they're wondering if he's the one who's restoring the covenant. That's yes. what they were thinking. Well, and you can see how when he came, they were so desperate to make him king. I mean, they would rather have him being king uh, in the first century than having to deal with Rome and, and the high priesthood. Um, so, you know, you can totally understand that they were desperate to have a political leader come to throw off uh, the oppression of these foreign entities. We also see that there was only one person in all of the world who to, who could declare that this was done. And so at the Passover, when he says it is finished, the restoration of the covenant has been restored. Everything's going the way it's supposed to go. And he declared as the sovereign that the work he came to do at that particular point in time was done. Amen. Amen. And one of the things, let me add here as well. So uh, anytime a king was raised up, and that this was in, in ancient Israel as well as the ancient Mesopotamian world, but the, the title given to, so when the king passed down the land and the seed, etc., and the throne to the next in line, the son or the servant, when the son was raised up to become king, he was given the title Son of God. So Son of God, it, and it has kind of a duality there, but essentially it means the, the son of the king. He And so he was considered to be the, he was adopted in uh, to that relationship. And so now anytime you see in scripture, uh, all of the kings of Israel were called son of God. And so now when you're in the first century and you're seeing them addressing Yeshua in that way, or he's talking about himself in that way, as the son of God, the, the Ben Elohim. He's speaking of kingship, and that's really important. It's important because we, in, in our world, we see that, and we're coming up on the end of our program, we see that as a biological relationship. But in Correct. the ancient world, if I was sitting next to Rabbi Paul or the Apostle Paul, and I said, oh, there goes God's son. He would look at me like I was nuts. Because right. he wouldn't be seeing this as a biological term. Correct. He would be seeing this as kingdom language. Exactly. And, and the Bible is, yeah, kingdom language from beginning to end. Let me, I'd like to read this scripture from Psalm 132, 14. It says, this is my rest, that's Menucha, forever. I desire to dwell in a resting place, to sit on the throne. That is the key, that God that resting place is his throne where he sits and he rules and reigns and creates order in the universe. Of course, we want him in our midst doing the same thing in our own hearts, in our family, in our community, etc. And the word, I'll leave you with this thought, the word love or, or heb or heb, it means term of loyalty to the king 
or your neighbor. So be loyal to one another. Be loyal to your neighbor. It's not possible for me to love somebody who wants to cut my head off. And, and I have to throw that in there. So don't, please don't say to Jeff Morton, you have to love everybody because our God has enemies. Yeah, yeah. And on Amen. that note, Dina, we'll see you next week. Shalom, and hopefully with a voice. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.